So what's good, man? How you been? Been uh, been very busy. You're actually one of the the uh, few things I seem to be able to squeeze in. You know, when I when I have some some free time, you know, the the weekends are all I seem to get anymore. Uh, you know, new full time job and and whatnot. But uh, it, it's been going, you know, going well. I'm I'm very happy. Good stuff, man. You work for the um, you're a journalist with the with the paper, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's the Haver Daily News here in uh, Haver, Montana. We're about uh, I'd say probably five hours or so from from Calgary. Okay, cool. I was trying to figure out where Haver was because, um, you know, I read that article that you had sent me. Um, so they, and uh, it said Haverite, which makes sense now, but I was trying, yeah. to, figure, I was trying to figure out yeah. what that was. Yeah. So, but yeah, th- thank you very much for having me on. You know, I, I, I'm, it had been, you know, uh, reconnecting with a lot of people from, from back home in, in Beardstown. Obviously you don't live there anymore, but, uh, I, I was surprised that we knew each other just because it, it, had, it had been, you know, such a long time. You're like, hey, yeah, I, we used to ride the same bus. So, yeah, yeah. So for you guys listening, um, you know, Dane, uh, we, we grew up in the same hometown. And uh, when he reached out to me, you know, I, I had told him, I was like, you know, you may, you may not remember because Dane, how old are you again? I'm 26. 26. Okay. So I just turned 29. And so like that three-year gap is enough that, you know, when we were that age, and you were getting off the bus one stop before me, you know, because I was older than you, I remembered you, but it made sense yeah. why you might not have remembered me. Um, yeah. And I, I have an older sister as well. So you probably knew her, you know, or might've known her better than, you know, you knew me at the time. Brooke. Yeah. 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 Um, I think she was a, a year after me yeah. is, what, is what sounds right. Yeah. But you know, I, I had seen that you had, you know, you had gotten in really into fitness and that's kind of just, you know, the path I've been on over the last three years, I've been hitting it pretty hardcore. And, you know, um, I just, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to have me on because obviously I sent you some articles, you know, I've been uh, doing virtual Ironman races during the pandemic. Uh, in my case, I don't need to swim, which is a, is a luxury because with these, these fitness trackers, um, I'm not really a big fan of, of how they track the swims. So I am kind of, you know, kind of able to uh, uh, change things up if I need to. But yeah, it's been, it's been pretty hardcore if I, if I do say so myself. Interesting, man. I actually wrote that down um, when I was reading through what you had written. Uh, virtual Ironman, how mm-hmm. does that work? So how it works is as a result of the pandemic, um, Ironman, the company, well, we're like, what do we do, you know, as a, as a sport in the middle of the pandemic where at the time people couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't go anywhere. So they created the Ironman virtual club. So they have what's called Ironman VR, which is virtual race. Um, and it, it will track, you know, um, you use sessions like a, uh, indoor biking session or a running session. And so you'll have specific miles you need to hit, um, and so it'll track it that way through like, through like a Garmin or a Fitbit. I had a Fitbit for a while and in 2020, those things are so um, agitating. And when you're putting that kind of mileage on your body for your equipment not to work right, causes uh, definitely causes some fits of rage. So I got to give big props to Garmin. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's been an interesting year. Um, in 2020, 
20, I did, I did five of them. I initially started doing one through um, USA Triathlon, uh, you know, because my big thing has, has uh, been weightlifting and particularly for mental health reasons, which I'm sure we're going to get into to some degree. Um, but I had to take, had to take pretty much like a month off because uh, my, my gym in, in Jerseyville, Illinois, I, I had moved in the middle of high school, moved in with my dad. Um, my gym had shut down and I had been going to school at Webster University in St. Louis and was there pretty much every day, you know, just getting my mind right and getting myself back on, I guess, the path, so to speak, right? So I had kind of figured out a routine or just, you know, kind of figured out like being a hamster on a wheel, so, so to speak, worked for me. And so when that all comes crashing down as a result of the pandemic, it's kind of like, oh, crap, I got to do something. Uh, so that's how I found out about racing through USA Triathlon. And then after that uh, came the Ironman platform. And so how those races work, uh, it'll range from about 16 miles to 32, 33, I think is the, the middle range. Um, and then you'll have uh, a half Ironman is, traditionally is uh, 70.3. Um, so, so I'll have like 70-ish or, you know, 72, somewhere in there. Um, so I did five of those, one of, one of each distance um, under the Ironman platform and then the one through USA Triathlon in 2020. And it was kind of like after the end of the year, it was kind of like, well, now I've, you know, I, I've done every distance. I've taken everything that they can throw at me. You know, what's next? I'll, obviously, by that, by that point, I had the gym back, so I had weightlifting. But, you know, I'm a very goal-oriented person, so I'm kind of like, okay, you need to, you need to find something next. Um, and then at the end of the year in 2020, they had, uh, announced what they call their wall of legends, which under these circumstances, um, is a, is a hall of fame, so to speak. Um, so that means every person, you don't, you don't have to win a race, but you have to complete and they're weekly. Uh, so you have to race and complete every race every week for a year uh, I thought 2021 that's what I'm looking at and so yeah I've been doing that for about four months um, and and very shortly after I, I moved to Haver in my first day on the job was April 5th uh, and I had, I had been mulling over the idea of trying to turn turn this I guess quest into some sort of a fundraiser um, so that's what we're doing now about four months in uh, we're trying to raise as much money as we can. We don't have a specific goal. Uh, me, my dad, you know, any, anybody that's willing to support me, chip in anything. Uh, we want to raise as much money as we can through New Year's. So it'll end on December 31st, and the money will be going to uh, Cerebral Palsy Foundation, which is the condition that I have. Uh, it'll be going to my local chapter here in Haver of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, and then it's also going to be split a third way with uh, bodybuilding.com's Lift Life Foundation, which uh, renovates, um, I believe, high school and, and maybe college gyms as well, but I believe specifically in low-income areas, just because, you know, fitness has been, obviously, since we're, since we're doing this, it's been such a crucial part of the path, you know, um, 
all three of those just seemed kind of to, to make sense. And I couldn't make up my mind. So I thought, you know, why not? And we'll, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll hopefully give them an even split. Dude, that is awesome. Um, I'm going to come back to the cerebral palsy thing. Did you say yeah. you were doing a race a week? Yeah. So before, so the current race I'm on is race 18. Um, and I've, I've, like I said, I've been doing this since January. Um, in, in 2021, I actually have an extra day. So they'll, they'll start on Thursday and they'll go to Sunday. When I did them in 2020, um, you only had Friday to Sunday. And in 2020, when I did the, the 70 plus mile race, the one time I did it, it was three days. And uh, now I have the option to break up the 70 plus over the course of a week. So seven days straight. So those bigger ones, obviously that's how I'm able to stay in this and not get hurt um, is, is by breaking it up, resting when I need to and that sort of thing. But when I did it um, in 2020, I had three days and each of the, each of the, uh, is the run bike. And then the second run had to be done, um, in individual sessions. So, uh, you know, if, if it took me a super long time, I couldn't end the session, uh, whatever, whatever, um, whatever leg of the race I was on, I would have to pause it and hope the battery didn't die. Uh, so like the bike, portion for the 70 was 55 or 56 miles it took me roughly 24 hours i think i was up at four or five in the morning holy shit yeah <laughs> yeah oh by the way can we swear on this podcast oh yeah absolutely oh, okay I'll try, I'll try to keep it to a minimum but you if know, you don't if you on, don't i will <laughs> okay depending on what we get into you know that's that's just how i show my authentic self so if i'm about to dis disappoint my parents a little bit then oh well um Hey man, but bring it so, on. <laughs> right. So it's welcome here. So what happened was, you know, you can't pause these sessions. So I ended up doing 55 or 56 miles started at, I want to say four or five in the morning um, on Saturday on a Saturday and went to one or two the next morning with like an hour break because I physically needed it. Um, and I, and I did manage to have time to get some food because when I did this last year, I was using, I use trikes in my case, cause I can't balance with a bike. So, but the bike I had before the one that's in my apartment back there, um, was a single speed bike. And I didn't know that when we bought it. So that was fun. Um, so yeah, it took about 20, 24, 23 hours or so. And then. So I finish at one or two on a Sunday, get a few hours sleep, and the second run portion of this run was a half marathon. So I got six or seven hours of sleep, went to my local high school track, you know, strapped up with the Fitbit or whatever, um, and an entire container of Advil and a cooler filled with about 12 Powerades. And I got about four miles in, and then I, I had to start popping uh, two Advil every two miles. So, so God only knows what I did to my stomach, but uh, yeah. <laughs> You're but, still here. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, you know, I made it through it, and uh, I would probably say, obviously, that that was the most physically demanding thing I've ever done, aside from what I'm doing now. Because now it's, now it's a matter of 
can you do it consistently? Can you not get hurt? The minor injuries I'm going to have because of my condition, like falls and whatnot, I've been falling my entire life, so that's not uncharted territory. Um, but, you know, you, you, you hope you hold up right. Um, in my case, and this goes back to the day job, I just started the job. So I do have benefits, but they haven't kicked in yet. I won't, I won't go into the specifics of that but they haven't kicked in yet. So I'm in a, I'm in a weird spot where for the next couple months, it's, it's especially like you can't get hurt. So, you know, so that, uh, that adds an interesting dynamic, but like I said, I'm, uh, I'm 18 deep. Uh, When, when we get done here, I got to go do my 45 minute walk to get my, my second seven workout in. And then tomorrow my, my outdoor workout is a 10 K for this race and that'll finish it finish that one up um i'll have a couple days to to rest and recover um and then i'll be racing again on thursday dude you know what this reminds me of um you're familiar with iron cowboy james lawrence yeah i've i've uh seen some podcasts with him and i've also i believe he had a documentary on netflix at one point i'm not i'm not sure if it's still on there but yeah i'm a, I'll I'm to, a big I'll fan. Look, okay i'll have to look into the, the documentary i didn't know about that but um for context, James Lawrence is a guy who uh, he ran, it was 50 Ironmans in 50 consecutive days, but he did mm-hmm. one, one in every single state. So he would do like a race in a state, hop on a plane, go to the next state, maybe sleep. I think uh, when I listened to him, I don't even remember where I heard him talking about it, but he had said that uh, just by the way, you know, flight times and everything uh, panned out there was like stents of three whole days that he didn't sleep while he was racing mm-hmm. and you know like his toenails and everything fell off and i'm just like dude what the hell um, oh yeah and, and, and that's <laughs> happened that's happened to me too it'll it? you know it, it'll get discolored uh i've had them turn purple and this was before i started racing i had them fall off once or twice um i believe the first time that i that i had that from, happen from a race uh luckily it was smaller toenails because once you once you're dealing with the big toe you're dealing with you know more more blood than you'd think yeah Uh, but i had after the 70 i had three toes all right next to each other all three of their cuticles just came off right in the shower not not the nail the full-on cuticle so yeah wow and after (laughs) after i did after i did the 70 plus the first time before you could break it up over a full week um i didn't walk right you know, by my standard, I didn't walk right for maybe the next three days. Crazy, man. Um, so just for a little bit of perspective too, you, you know, going back to where you mentioned, uh, you know, cerebral palsy, you have, if I'm correct, it's titanium, right? And your yeah. leg, and is it your right yeah. leg? Yeah, I've got some, yeah, it's my right leg. I've got a rod in my femur. It was an elective surgery um, that I don't think for a, for a long time we knew I could get. Uh, this condition is permanent. Um, I personally don't think that it has anything that it can do for me, you know, benefiting me physically other than forcing my leg straight. Like when I, when I had the operation, I believe it was my, my leg from my hip all the way down was broken in like eight places. Um, so, shit. so everything was kind of angled like that and they just went. 
Okay. And straight and straightened it out like all the way down. So Got it. yeah. Okay. And uh, and so not, it was, not, was it broken not, for all that time and you didn't know? No, it, it's not. It's not that it was broken. Uh, the only the only time I've ever had like broken legs are medical breaks like that. I've never had I've never had broken bones or anything. Um, okay. It's just that everything on my right side was shifted at an angle. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's just how it was. So for the longest time and this, you know, this kind of goes back to mental health a little bit when you're little and you're getting bullied and you're just, you're just wanting to go about your life period. You're like, if there's anything that can be done surgery wise, let's go ahead and do it. And I, I can't remember how many countless conversations I've had especially with my dad. I'm sure I've had these conversations with my mom, but especially with my dad. And he would have to look at me and say, I know, but we need to wait for you to stop growing. So the, the process of that took forever and you know, it, it, it weighs on you. But, and at the time when I had the surgery done, I was put in a cast, right? Obviously. Well, recovery, I think was supposed to take like six months the stitches popped while I was in the cast and nobody knew it. So I got pus and all kinds of loveliness described. I, I didn't even know the human body could do what happened to me. Um, so it went from six months um, to like recovery took like a year and a half. And that whole time I was in therapy and whatnot, but like I had to relearn how to walk. So to be where I'm at, like I have, I don't want to have an ego about it, but, but I am very proud. And I, I don't think myself or anybody else ever thought we'd get, get to this point. So I, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, I've just been through a lot. You know, I, I feel like I've been through um, a washing machine of sorts. And now that I am 26 and this is kind of the, you know, the age where your, your brain is starting to fully develop and, you know, maturity kind of kicks in. Now I've kind of over the last three years or so uh, I've kind of been able to see the, the puzzle pieces all moving, you know, moving into place. And now I can just say, you know, it was hard. Um, obviously uh, this is a journey that I never, ever want to go through ever again. Um, but I'm grateful for where I'm at. As you should be, man. And, you know, you mentioned ego. I would argue I think in your case, you know, it's, it's okay to have a little bit of an ego with something like this. Um, you know, for me as a trainer, nutrition coach, I work with people, uh, you know, just general population people that, you know, work a nine to, you know, whatever, they don't have things outside the norm of like, you know, stuff holding them back other than just like they're busy or, you know, maybe they didn't get enough sleep. And one of the, one of the things that I've had to, work on as a trainer that I've struggled with for a really long time is, you know, excuses and, um, you know, people saying just, you know, I, you know, I was too tired or I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And, you know, me being who I am is sort of like a kind of a no excuses, no bullshit kind of a guy, you know? Um, and I'm drawn to that sort of, uh, mentality, you know, which is why you and I have, you know, we, we have some of the same, idols and people that we, you know, look up to, um, I hear your story and then it's stories like that, that make me listen to other people that are just like, 
oh, I had a long day that I start to go, so what? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, like I said, I'm grateful for where I'm at now. Let's see if I can adjust the camera a little bit. Uh, I'm grateful for where I'm at now, but you wouldn't believe me if I told you, you know, I, I, I was just like everyone else in the sense of lifting that like I'd be into it for a month and then I'd be out of it. I'd be into it for a month and, be, you know, be off. Um, I didn't start hitting it hardcore practically every day, um, you know, until I was 23. Because you talk about excuses. My condition for the longest time was my excuse. And this will kind of, like I said, dive into more of the mental health aspect of it, which, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my excuse was, well, so, so I had physical therapy from single digits, you know, in, ter- in terms of age, um, till about my freshman year in high school, uh, when I was just like, you know what, I quit. Like, why are we doing this? Um, because my justification at the time was it's permanent, so I'm not going to get any better. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. And so when you ha- when you have that mentality, and whether you it's subconscious or not, when you have that mentality, and it, you're just kind of hammering that home every day you know, eventually that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I had some, so I have my own issues in terms of coping with my disability. I had, you know, uh, personal issues uh, with how I saw myself. I've never really dated because I've never had the confidence to, to be like, oh, so-and-so, why would they, why would they ever want someone like me? You know, um, so one of my best friends, and I won't give out names because of where we're from, you might know her or mm-hmm. her family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I have, so to speak, the, the, the one that got away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that fell apart. And I had so much other personal stuff going on at the time that all of those relationships I had uh, in Beardstown pretty much for like 10 years, I treated like scorched earth. I made being an asshole into an art form. Uh, you know, I was getting bullied a lot, but I didn't, I didn't help myself. I, I had a big mouth because I felt like it was the only defense mechanism I had. Um, respectfully, you know, like I mentioned earlier, and I won't go too far in depth with this, but I moved in with my dad at 17 because that was just plain and simple, something I'd always wanted. Um, I, I, ha- I, I had great relationships in Beardstown. I met a lot of good people. But from age five, when I understood what the concept of divorce was, as soon as I understood what that meant, it was, you know, no disrespect to, to my mom or anybody else, but, like, I, w- I want to go with my dad, plain and simple. So we would talk about that and have those conversations literally every weekend for 11 years so a lot of crying um like i said practically every weekend it was just something i had always wanted and i i don't know if this was like i said subconscious or not but i feel like looking back now me kind of helping accelerate the deterioration of all those friendships and whatnot uh you know made it easier for me to push away so I had, you know, all this stuff going on in my head, 
so that by the time I, I moved in with my dad at 17, I couldn't enjoy the fact I was finally there because I was so hung up on the past that because we had talked about me move. I didn't move until the summer between sophomore and junior year of high school. Um, it, but we had talked about it when I was in eighth grade. Well, at the time, I still had about four or five friendships that I thought were worth hanging on for. So, you know, and then, like I said, I just get more and more bitter because I'm thinking about it every day. And I, when I say thinking about it every day, I mean, waking up and being like, I hate this place. I don't want to be here. Now, does that mean I had the worst child, childhood in the world? No, obviously not. But even with all the good, every single day it would come back to that in some form or, the, some form or another. And one of the key things that would keep running through my head was, okay, so we go to a St. Louis Cardinals game or whatever it is, whatever positive. Well, yeah, the situation is good. Yeah, this relationship is good what, you know, with whoever it is, but I still want to leave. So not only did I not, not ever feel good enough, nothing was ever good enough for me. And then, like I said, when I got to my dad's, I was so hung up on the past, like I should have been here sooner. I feel like I was cheated out of time. Um, my grandfather who lived in Jerseyville, uh, he's actually my dad's old high school band teacher. He passed away when I was 10. So it was kind of like, he's gone now, so I don't have that. I could have had that earlier. And all of this stuff, and it just mount, um, mounts up and mounts up and mounts up. You add that on top of the disability. You add that on top of you're almost done with school and you have to make a whole new life for yourself, essentially. And at that point, all I wanted to do was party. So that's when I started drinking, right? And I've always been a lightweight, so, you know, my, my friends will bust my chops to this day and it is what it is for me that meant it was just cheaper to get drunk um so you start partying at 17 and you're 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 partying maybe once every few weeks or somebody's having a house party every few months or whatever so it just kind of escalates gradually until i hit about 20 because when you hit 20 is when your friends or at least some of them hit 20 uh, hit 21 and that's when it gets easier and uh I had already developed a reputation of, well, my buddy over here, and they're still my buddies to this day. So it's not like, peer pressure for me has always been bullshit. It has always been me internally. Um, so, so the friends, the friends that I had then, I still have now. I'm just not drinking, and they they respect that. But I had already kind of developed a reputation with them of, I'm a lightweight, so I'm just gonna get smashed every time. I. I probably could count on a single hand the number of times that I, that I went drinking or whatever and didn't get drunk. So, and then, you know, so clearly here comes the, the decline, right? Well, this all started at 17, which is when I had the surgery where you had talked about, you know, I have the titanium in me. So, I'm grappling with that at the time, and I'm grappling with making a whole new life for myself, having to have new friends and all this stuff. I've got a brace on my leg at the time for the first time since I was a small child. I thought I was free of that. Like, 
that scene in Forrest Gump did nothing but fill me with false hope and lies where he just, his brace just shatters. <laughs> he like know, breaks he, out of it and he takes off down the road. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I very much had a relationship with a, uh, with a Jenny type too. So, you know, so I related to that a lot. Uh, but I had a brace on me again at 17. And I just remember, I remember the day that I mentally tapped out because i I've always been strong with coping with my disability. And I think other people would tell you the same thing. Um, but I, I remember the day that I gave up. Uh, we had gone shoe shopping, my dad and I, and I think we were at the, the Galleria. And I don't know how many stores we went to, but this, this trip to find shoes that would not only fit me, but fit the brace took like three days. My dad said something and I just looked at him and I said, dad i'm tired and i knew exactly what i meant by that i didn't mean i was tired of shopping i didn't mean i was physically tired although i was i didn't mean i was tired of the day i was done and so that's when i completely gave up and i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna let loose you know and so i did that and you know we we can dive into that more if you want but all that is to say, by the time I got to Webster in St. Louis in 2018, that was the end of the road, the absolute end of the road. Um, I've never been diagnosed with what they call seasonal affective disorder, where, you know, where the weather changes and a lot of people, you know, mental health wise are severely affected by that. But I, I don't need an official diagnosis to tell me how I feel. So I, I had already kind of experienced before all of this. Um, you know, I expect my life to feel like crap for October to maybe March. Um, so you add up, you add in all the things I'm coping with and all the things I'm doing to myself that I chose to do to myself. And you add in the fact that my grandfather, like I said, my dad's old band teacher, my adoptive grandfather, let's clarify, um, you know, he just kind of welcomed him into the family. You know what I mean? Um, I had never completely learned how to cope with his death. Uh, he was already in his seventies by the time I, you know, I was able to start forming memories with him. So it is what it is. It's just life. He died of natural causes, nothing traumatic. But when you're, you know, between five and 10, when I had, you know, when I had a relationship with him, he may as well have been the sun, you know? So when the, when the sun gets snuffed out, what do you do? So, and this, this will kind of get heavy, but I've, I've struggled with suicidal thoughts. I think the technical term is suicidal ideation. Um, I've struggled with suicidal thoughts from about 10 when he died, going through puberty and hormones, uh, 13, 16, uh, moving in with my dad, ruining those relationships, um, all the way up until I was 23 when I took up lifting. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I've never, fortunately, I've never tried to act on self-harm, but I would, and this might be a little over the top, but I would say lifting has saved my life because I haven't had suicidal ideation in three years. So, you know, like, again, at this point, I feel like I've been through a washing machine and I'm just 
grateful. It's incredible, man. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, I'm curious, you, you know, you told the story about when you were shoe shopping and that was sort of the turning point for you in, in, you know, the wrong direction. After, you know, being at, uh, being in St. Louis, uh, or, or being in Missouri for college, um, yeah, you, I was, I was in St. Louis. I was at their main campus. Yes. Do you remember what moment it was for you? that you decided I can't do this anymore and I got to turn it back around. You got into lifting and that obviously changed your mindset. Do you remember what that moment was or what that day was for you? So, you know, I wish because I'm a storyteller too, I wish I had like a specific moment um, or like, you know, a, a story worthy moment, but honestly it was just one hangover too many. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just, some people might call it God. Um, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I'm respectful to those who are, but I'm, uh, but I, I felt like a sonic boom went off, you know, it, inside me, so to speak. And it was just like, I, wo- I woke up from a hangover um, and had been sleeping on my couch because when I'm in a depressive spell, why go to your bed when you've got to be up in a few hours for a class you don't want to go to? and you're so sloppy hammered you just want to make sure you're as close to the door um as physically possible to get up and go mm-hmm. uh, so it was one of those I, I had fallen asleep on the couch or the floor and i felt like that boom went off and it was <gasps> and it was i can't i can't do this anymore because by that time i had had like three different roommates at webster and my last roommate um We'll, we'll, I don't want to give out his real name. I'll, I'll give the details, but I don't want to give out his real name. So we'll sure. call him, we'll call him Steve. Okay. Steve, in my opinion, was a functioning alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, and allegedly, Steve was moving Molly out of our apartment. I never saw it. I was always gone, apparently, when it happened. So I got lucky. Uh, but in terms of alcohol, he and I kind of fed off each other. And in my opinion, he was on such another level that like, I thought I could hang. And then I'm like, this is literally every night. Yeah. Every night under every circumstance. I'm bored. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I passed this test. I got this interview or, you know, I got, let's party. Let's any excuse I could find or, or both of us could find, we were going to, you know, we were going to go. Yeah. Um, and when it's every single night that you're, you're messing up your body and your mind for six months, of course, what's going to happen to me is going to happen. Now where I got lucky with Webster, excuse me. Was that, sure. Where I got lucky with Webster is that my apartment was a, literally across the street from their gym which saved my life pretty much and b it was a it was across the parking lot from their their counseling and health services building so that's where my my mental health recovery um the day i woke up and realized i can't do this anymore was the day i was like i i got up put a jacket on, went across that parking lot, 
and I scheduled my, my first session, my first counseling session. I said, I need to see somebody. And, you know, I had gone through that in Beardstown because um, one of the guidance counselors was a member of the church I was a part of growing up. So I'd already kind of had those experiences, but kind of backed away from it until I needed it again. Uh, so I, I walked right over there and I said, I need to see somebody. So I filled out the paperwork. They couldn't see me that day, but they, they booked me for, you know, for the next, um, the next, I think, week after that. Um, I got a, a counselor. His name's Alfred, uh, Alfred Abazzi. He's all the way from Ghana. Uh, he, was, he was studying there to get his, uh, I don't know what his formal degree is, but, you know, his, his professional degree in, in counseling, um, you know, related to the mental health field. Um, so that's kind of how we connected. Um, and I'm a huge wrestling fan too. So like I was obsessed, like we'll probably get into combat sports more later, but I grew up a huge pro wrestling fan and especially for Ray Mysterio, whose signature yeah. move is, is called one nine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the day this all happened. So about two weeks after I get hooked up with this counselor, I'd probably say either late June or early July is when I, about two weeks into counseling was when I made the decision to stop drinking, but I don't remember my quote unquote sobriety date off the top of my head. So what we use is the, is the first date that counseling has on record for me. So my, the sobriety date that's in my head is, is the, the date that I checked in to get mental health you know, help. And that was June 19th. Um, and my, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, and then I can also, I, uh, remember my, my weightlifter anniversary or birthday, if you will, because it was, uh, July 5th. Uh, so it was after the fourth and my mother's born on July 7th. So six nineteen and seven, five, um, mean a whole lot to me. And I, especially with seven, seven, five now, cause I'm on 75 hard to, you know, stay on point as we do, uh, as I'm doing this Ironman stuff too. So, you know, so those, those have been very crucial days. Dude, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> I was going to bring up the wrestling because uh, the show you did with, um, with AJ Cisco and I don't follow, I don't follow pro fighting, um, mm-hmm. but I listened to the episode and, and, and um, you opened it with talking about like, you know, wanting to be heavyweight champion and stuff when you were a kid Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, we're definitely going to touch on that because I didn't grow up a fighting fan, but I grew up a wrestling fan. Okay. Real, real big. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so, you, I, so I, as you can tell from my issues with alcohol and anybody that's known me professionally um, in terms of my passion for journalism and my passion since about 2015 has been the world of combat sports. I want to go to work for the UFC um, at some point in the future. Um, this is where I'm at now and it's great. My boss loves me, loves my work and I feel the same way and it's great to diversify, but I do have long-term goals. Um, but originally it was pro it was professional wrestling and specifically I wanted to be in the ring. Now you have to understand my influences at the time were Rey Mysterio, who's five foot something. So he's really small. I thought I can do that. And you also have to understand at the time, WWE had a, a guy under contract whose name is Zach Gallon. He's a, a cancer. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So you, you have to think somebody with the, that's an amputee and I'm starting to see guys that are really small and this is, you know, quote unquote fake or not, 
this is a combination of a, a movie, of a, of a comic book, of a rock show. Small in terms of what, do I, what, what I want to accomplish and, and what I want to get out of life. Small has never been enough for me, ever. So that kind of goes back to why uh, I felt the way I did about Beardstown for a long time. Because I, I thought, oh my God, I'm getting bullied by, you know, by this person and that person, this person, that person. I feel like all these people are judging me when they've never done crap with their lives. Now, granted, at the time, neither had I. So how's anybody going to believe in you when you hadn't done anything yet? So I, I concede there. But small has never been enough for me. And I thought, you know, I, I really, at this point, I'm not a people person, so I wouldn't mind being on the road. Like, I hear wrestlers complain all the time about how much travel they have to do and this and that. For me, with my parents being divorced, I was used to packing up a suitcase every week. I just wanted to get away from everybody and live the farthest thing from a normal life as I, as I possibly could. Um, and, you know, people bullied the crap out of me for it. Now, I didn't help myself because I believed in it, that it was real for so long, like embarrassingly long, like 15. Like, it's kind of like a kid holding on to, sorry, Santa's not real. Uh, it was kinda, it's kind of one of those things. But that's kind of where the initial, initial ambition I had um, to, okay, all these people don't, seem to believe in me I'm, I'm gonna make you pay for it you know in, in some in some fashion I'm gonna make you pay for it uh you know I was very aggressive I if I could be physically violent I, I would go that far and say you know if it weren't for my disability I might I might be you know just a, a lot more violent person but it kind of connected with me uh it, it made sense to me like okay Legally, I can't enact physical violence on all these people that have been saying all these things and making me feel this way for so long. And physically, I cannot physically be violent because of my, my, uh, my condition. So I kind of sat down and thought, well, then that just means I have to take all of my rage and funnel it into whatever I want to do professionally or, or the life that I want for myself, I have to develop an obsession, right? So, and, and that's what I did. And I, I think the whole thing I want, to, I want to make sure that comes across is that if there's anybody out, out there like me that thought like that previously or things like that now, yeah, it works. It really does work. I've, I've, you know, I've appeared, my work has appeared for Fighters Only Magazine um, on their website. Fighters Only Magazine puts on the World MMA Awards. Um, I've been affiliated with UFC, organ, uh, UFC affiliated organizations. Um, I've, I've got people that are, you know, that are connections of mine that are connected to the Olympic MMA, MMA movement. So using rage like that does work, but it only works for so long. And eventually you're going to burn yourself out. And for me, it took 10 years. Yeah. So you took, you took how you were feeling and funneled it, like you said, into a world where you could sort of, it was like 
did, did you kind of see yourself in the fighters and in the, like you, like you mentioned Zach Gowan and I remember mm-hmm. him very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really cool. He had that stint with Hogan for a while, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I think I could see from watching him that there was some of that in him too. Like he was taking probably all of the frustrations and things that he had dealt with through his life being a paraplegic um, and sort of, pushing that into the performances that he was doing, you know, and obviously it's, it's everything scripted, but there's still a level of it's physicality. Right. Yeah. And so for you, 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 that's probably why you got so hooked on wrestling. At least that's what you're saying is that sort of was like a physical manifestation of how you were feeling. Well, it was that too. And I felt like I needed an escape because when you're thinking um at the time from, from five to 16, every day you're waking up going, I hate this person. I hate that person. I don't want to be where I'm living. I never feel like I'm going to get out of here. Like, what do I have to do? I absolutely needed an escape. And I, I think so. It was, it was that too. Um, now I, I can say that I steered myself in the right direction by turning that towards professional ambitions. And even though I never made any money from it, and it's very, very small. It's a very small company. I did end up for a few months at least during my first couple of years in college. I did pro wrestling commentary in St. Louis uh, for, for a St. Louis company. So it was kind of like, check this off my bucket list. Um, you know, I was a huge blues fan. Um, I found out about sled hockey, adaptive hockey a few years later or around the same time I was doing wrestling stuff. And so I did that for like a year and change. I got to play in one exhibition against the, the Nashville sled Preds, I think was, the, was their name. It was the Predators. Um, and I got, to, I got to put on the blue note one time. So it was, did that. Uh, you know, I, I've done, you know, uh, I've trained jujitsu. I've trained kickboxing. Uh, the guy I used to train under in St. Louis is a guy named Kyle Watson, who was on The Ultimate Fighter. Um, I've interviewed Jaden Cox, who's an Olympic bronze medalist in wrestling for Mizzou when I was at SIUE briefly. Um, I got like 10 minutes with him to somebody that knew me, kn- knows my obsession. Um, and they're like, do you want this? And I said, of course. And it's like 10 minutes. I'm like, I don't care. And, uh, <laughs> I, had, I, I was in English class on one side of campus and had to run to my apartment on the other side of ca- literally like a mile or more. And I had to explain to the teacher, I was like, I got to cut class early. And they were like, why? And I was like, this dude's in the Olympics. You don't understand. And they were like, go, you know. So just gradually, even though it was all f- fueled by rage, I've gone check mark after check mark after check mark off, off of a bucket list, you know. And I have, I have been able to check all of those things off. Um, but now, like I said, eventually you're going to burn out because at one point, you know, and this kind of steers away from pro wrestling a little bit. Uh, at one point, I felt like my dream of working for the UFC was all I had to cling to. Like, yes, I'm ambitious, and yes, like I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna show the world like what I'm about, and I'm gonna get there, whatever it takes. And I I still feel that way today. But at, when I was at Webster, I had already kind of started developing the habit of, well. Even way before that, I'd already started developing the habit of, of putting on a mask, right? So by the time I had gotten to Webster, the mask was starting to crack. The mask was 
starting to shatter into little pieces. So it was literally, oh, I got an A in this class. Go home, shut the door because I've got something in my head that makes me want to start crying or whatever. And I need to go home and have a drink uh, or, you know, sit on my couch and not move for the next like day and a half or whatever. Um, and it had gotten to one point, and this is kind of funny um, in retrospect, but I, since we've talked about where my head was at before, I just want people to keep that in mind. While this was happening, I was drinking in class, and I can talk about it now that I've graduated and it's behind me. I was drinking in class because I had kind of figured out a system of my go-to drink. So it progressed from me having Mike's Hard Lemonade to, oh, I got to show up Joe Blow down the road by drinking Four loco, right? So zero to 60. Um, and then aside from that, my go-to drink was a whiskey and Coke or, or a whiskey and Pepsi. So I had figured out, you know, um, let's, let's pour out half the Pepsi bottle and fill it back halfway up with whiskey. I'll go to class. I won't get full on trashed, but I'll get that buzz on. Um, because the semester I started doing that, I had a political class, which messed with my head and affected my whole worldview, just very negatively. And I had a uh, philosophy class. It was called Contemporary Moral Problems. And it would deal with things like rape and um, just all of this horrible, horrible stuff on top of my own issues. Um, and those classes were back to back. So my whole day was just like. Just a big ball of negative energy yeah, dark, coming in. Just darkness. So I was like, well, if I got to sit through this, it's going down. So I would put, I would put, wit, uh, I would put whiskey in a Pepsi and just sip on it the entire class. And the way that I got away with it, I started exploiting my disability. I have been more self-deprecating than probably any uh, disabled person on the planet, uh, genuinely and as a, co a coping mechanism. But um, so I've always had that kind of sense of humor. So, but in terms of my drinking, I had figured out I have a disability. I have a limp. I know how I walk. I know how I move. I know what it looks like. My eyes always looked bloodshot because of what, uh, what I was doing to myself at the time and the fact I've struggled with sleep since junior year of high school. Nobody's going to know what's up. So I could be half cocked and nobody's going to know the difference because I have cerebral palsy. So they're just going to think that's how I am. And so right. that's, how I, that's how I hit it. And so I was sitting in those classes, you know, um, and that's when it just, like I said, it, that's when I started to crash and burn. Um, now, fortunately, I have gotten past the point of all of that. Um, I've gotten past the point of loving things like, like UFC and wrestling in my profession. I've gotten past the point of loving those things to the point where it's not good for you. Um, and I've come back, like, I've come back and I've asked myself, like, why are you doing this? Like, I, I, I forgot what it was like to stop obsessing over it and 
just fall back in love with it again. So, yeah, at this point, I, I couldn't be any more happy with my life. You already beat me to the punch, man, because that was going to be, you know, sort of my next question was, um, you know, after you turned things around, you started lifting. Now you're doing these races. You've done countless. Um, you're doing it for a good cause. You're raising money for these different organizations. Yeah. Um, you're doing 75 hard, which for anybody listening, 75 hard alone on its own is hard enough. And he's doing it with these races. Uh, like he said, after this, after this episode, he's going to go do his 45 minute outside workout. Um, you're doing all these things, man. You're really taking care of yourself. You're pushing yourself harder than most people push themselves. So that was going to be my question was Mm -hmm. today. How do you feel compared to how you felt in the past? I, and I told somebody else this for a print interview, um, I am living the most optimal life that I feel that I can um, at this moment, physically, diet-wise, mental health-wise, all of that. Um, Having said that, I have funneled my obsessive, or let's be honest and call it addictive tendencies, into the positive things right so it was just trading it was trading one thing for another mm-hmm. my workouts are psychotic uh, now they 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 might be f- for really advanced lifters they're like oh i could take it you know because they're able-bodied or whatever but relative to my condition um you know they're psychotic uh we so we can actually dive a little more into the specifics of my weightlifting journey. So two weeks into counseling, July 5th, 2018 is when I decided to get into lifting. And I went and I, I lifted for, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half plus some cardio. Felt great. I'd felt that before, but, you know, just couldn't keep the consistency up previously in life. Sure. Um, and I was like, you know what? This is, this is my thing now. This is what I'm doing. Um, and so a few sessions in, I noticed there's a scale in the weight room, right? And I know I'm out of shape, but I hadn't checked a, checked a scale in so long. I didn't know where I was at. Now, uh, when I, I don't drive, but I have state ID. And on my state ID, my, my weight at the time was listed as 155. I was like, okay, I, uh, I wonder where I'm at. And I was 185. 185 is not a lot, but when you're abusing yourself negatively and, and you're doing zero, you know, you got some work to do. Uh, I, know, I know people have lost a lot more than, than 30 pounds, but especially with me having palsy, the more weight you put on is the more, you know, you're going to have to combat that. And excuse my language, but I looked down at the scale and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Um, so, so that's when I went psychotic. Um, I started hitting it every day, every day, every day, unless I needed recovery. Um, I started researching intermittent fasting. Well, there's all these different variations of, you can do the, the, this method or the 16, four method or whatever, whatever it's called. Well, I found out about OMAD one meal a day. It's one meal a day, but it's massive. I was like, well, that seems the most simple thing for me to do. Keep it simple. So on top of lifting, on top of doing all of that, I, uh, I start with OMAD. And this was 
after I had already exper experimented with fasting period. Um, and in my, in my research, I didn't know this till after it had happened to me. I went through a two day fast. That was the first fast I had ever done was 48 hours straight, not eating. And this is on top of lifting like a savage. Uh, like I started lifting anywhere from two to four hours of pop. Not, I know about overtraining and all that. I, I just needed, um, cause I felt like I needed to make up for lost time for more than 20 years of not adequately taking care of myself. So OMAD three to four hours of pop. And on top of that, I'm still super obsessed with the UFC, right? So I'm looking at all these fighters and I know they use those, uh, sauna suits what they call plastics mm -hmm. uh so we have an actual sauna so i would start i i ended up all together i'll just kind of get to the point uh i ended up losing 38 pounds i went from 185 to 147 by doing omad this crazy lifting i wanted to get to 145 but by that point i had already gone past my goal of getting back to 155 and i was like you know what it's it's not an even number and that bothers me. I wanted to lose an even 40, but I need to eat at this point. I need to eat because the, the plan was always to go back up and, and just eat in a healthy way and, and go back up in a healthy way. Um, but in terms of losing all that weight, uh, as far as the in influence of fighters, I bought a sauna suit. So my workout would start with 30 minutes in the sauna, in the sauna suit. The sauna suit would be what I worked out in for two to four hours. And part of that may include um, a secondary sauna session. So anywhere between 30 to 40 or 30 to 60 minutes just in a sauna. Sometimes it was an hour straight, which is not recommended, but I'm here. Um, and I would finish with 10 laps in the pool. And the guy at the pool, his name's Quentin. He'll love that I'm shouting him out. Um, Quentin, is just, he was the first dude to look at me and go, in a positive, in a positive way, he goes, you're nuts. You're, you're savage. Uh, you know, and I, I've gotten nothing but that from people over the last three years. Uh, you know, somebody, when, when they found out I was doing this as a fundraiser for all these organizations, one of my friends called me a saint and a savage, which I, which I, you know, uh, ego aside, I really appreciated that. One of my other friends called me a force of nature. And at this point, I've done enough to myself. I've built myself up enough physically. I've put that effort in for so long, for almost three years straight. I look at him, he called me a force of nature. Damn straight, you know, damn straight. You know, I went from a point of thinking, why would anyone want someone like me to, you know what, I'm going to change what someone liked what someone like me means, it can have a positive connotation, but I told somebody this the other day, I feel like in a lot or most situations, the phrase someone like me has a negative connotation to it. Well, I'm gonna shatter that perception. And I know I've done things, disability or not, where able-bodied people can't hang. And I'm extremely proud of that. I love that, man. You should be, you should be. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this too, because we were talking about, um, about idols and well, I, I don't want to call him an idol or anything like that, but 
on Facebook, you and I were talking about like David Goggins and Jocko Willink. That's actually what this hat is. It doesn't show up well, but it's uh, discipline equals freedom. Um, is that Jocko? Yeah, that's Jocko. Got it. Um, okay. But in term in terms of uh, Goggins and, and those guys, I'm proud to say that like I found those guys, those guys that made me want to want to ratchet up my effort to a thousand. You know, take the lever and break the lev- the lever off, so to speak, pedal of metal. I found those guys after I was already six months in to what I was doing, to my recovery process. After I'd already changed the mindset, it was like, all right, I know I can, I know I can hang. This guy just helps me, like I said, ratchet it up to the next level. And knowing he's out there doing ultra marathons and this and that, I'm like, Anytime I don't want to go do anything, anytime I don't want to do the second or the outdoor 75 hard workout, it's always just Goggins in effort, you know, Goggins <laughs> in effort. And my, my dad will text me about that too. I'll be out running, um, you know, just Goggins. That's all it is, you know. So, um, but my, my point is I found those guys after I had already healed myself. So, I'm I, I'm very glad to have those influences, but I never wanted to be, and this isn't a knock against him, but I never wanted to be one of those Tony Robbins cliches of, oh, I found such and such motivational speaker. If you yeah. believe you can achieve, I can help you self-actualize. What are you talking about? You know, so I, I'm very proud that I put the work in myself. Um, I hope to be, you know, a, a living example of discipline equals freedom. Um, and, you know, we were talking about the fundraiser and, and all this and all that. Um, I haven't talked about it publicly yet because we're still in the early stages. We're doing research, paperwork. I had just talked to an accountant, but I do um, intend to start my own foundation outright. Um Ideally, it will have something to do uh, with the fitness space and disabilities. I don't, I don't quite have goals, sp- specific goals yet. I'm figuring those out. Um, but I would also like to do something with uh, scholarships in the future because just the weight of student debt and just college itself, the experience. Um, obviously, you know, I've just told you how, how much of an impact negatively that had on my mental health. Um, so I'd kind of like to take that. I guess that burden off of other people as, as much as I can. Um, I need to see if the name is available, but I want to call it the Defy Foundation, uh, D-I-F-Y, do it for yourself. And like I said, we'll have something to do with uh, disabilities and the fitness space. Um, and that process should take about, I think my dad said 18 months or so. So yeah, we'll see where we're at. It'll be after this, you know, this Iron Man Wall of Legends fundraiser ends just because that's how long the process takes. But, um, you know, he and I had had a conversation after my last um, anxiety attack, which uh, has gotten scary physical over the last, I don't, I don't know how long, but I didn't, I never recognized them physically until, until recently. Um, and so this goes back to me never quite learning, uh, never having learned how to really cope with my grandfather's death or death as a whole. Um, you know, my, my sister is married now uh, with 
with kids. A, a lot of my siblings are actually, and a lot of the people around me are. Um, I want to date. I think I want to have kids. But I started thinking, like, what if it doesn't happen for me? You know, I just had a friend. Um, his name's Devin. He's my age. He was a music major. Um, and that was his passion, right? Uh, he passed away after being on life support at, uh, as the result of a single car car accident. Um, I want to say Thanksgiving of 2020 might have been when the, the accident was. And so, and since we were not only friends, um, but the same age, I was like, I'm already obsessed because I want to get to where I want to get to as young as possible so that I can live life and, and, and do my profession at a high level for as long as possible. But then you have Devin over here wiped out his, his dreams, his plans, all of that taken away from him. So my dad and I, in relation to that anxiety attack, started having conversations about mortality and, and legacy and, you know, again, I, I go back to ego. I don't want this to be an ego thing for me. I want it to come from a genuine place. But I do start thinking about, and especially when I'm doing these races, I do start thinking about, what do you really want people to say about you when it's over? You know, um, I, I don't necessarily want to say that I want to die broke because I don't. Um, but financially when I die, like I know where it's going and it's, uh, going, going all, all, all of my money's going to good places. And in terms of my, my endeavors, um, professionally with the nonprofit, all of that, I just want the people that I care about and that care about me to know that I gave them everything that I could until I physically dropped. Yeah, you know, one of the things that um, that you hear a lot of, like, I guess we'll just call them like ultra successful people who have like really built a lot of things and helped a lot of people, and they've already done that. And there's like, you know, there's proof to it. One of the things that I hear really commonly that they talk about, that they think about all the time, it's like one of the things that just kind of eats away at their mind is how many people are going to show up at my funeral, mm -hmm. right? Because to them that really is the, the end all tell all for how much of an impact did you really have? Right. And when they, when I hear that, I think about that too. I, I kind of, I feel like I kind of relate to you in that sense of thinking all the time, like what kind of legacy will you leave? You know um, mm -hmm. I'm in the same boat in terms of uh, you know, kids and, mm -hmm. and all that. I don't have any kids either. And it's something I've always kind of been on the fence about too. You know, um, I try to remind myself that I'm young. Mm -hmm. I just turned 29, which means if I play my cards right and get lucky, you know, to a certain degree, I've got another 60 years, right? So there's a lot I can do in that time. Um, but I don't know, I guess I, I don't have the answers, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's one of those things where, you know, you just, uh, well, also too, not with just like people in general and, and friends and the people I intend to take care of after I'm gone. Even though I don't have kids right now, when I have the runner's high and full clarity, I've started not only having conversations 
as 26-year-old Dane with, like, five-year-old Dane or 10-year-old Dane, I've started having conversations with a son that doesn't exist yet. So in my head, since I don't have a name for him yet, I call him Little Dude because I speak kind of like a surfer. Uh, so I'm always just like, what do you want little dude to think when, you know, when this is all over? So I just think, I think about it constantly. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm living most optimally. And I think at this point, what I would say to him is in all facets of your life, whether you're wealthy, whether you're, whatever your religion is, whatever your circumstances are, I don't care. Spread good, period. End of discussion. Uh, sp spread the good, you know, and uh, clearly I've gotten it um, back in return. Uh, I think so. And like I said, again, I'm grateful. Um, but, you know, I'm still confronting things every single day. Uh, you know, we talked about relationships with people in Beardstown. If you want to circling back to the one that got away so to speak um i resented her for 10 years i didn't speak to her except for like one super emotional message i sent when i was drunk um you know like i said i thought all those relationships were scorched earth so they might as well have been dead to me um she had reached out to me over Facebook after I had moved to Montana. Um, and by this point, I'm jacked. By, I'll, I'll just come right out and say it. By this point, I know I'm jacked. Um, I know she can see like what I look like now. I know she can see what people are saying now. Um, I know she can see kind of what I've been up to in, in terms of um, – combat sports because I am part of the, the media side of the U S kickboxing team. So I've got that going for me. I, I know she can see what I've been up to. She tried to add me on Facebook and initially I rejected her. I got revenge because I have been fueled by nothing but rage and revenge for 10 years. And it felt awesome. It felt awesome. I'm not going to deny that, but it only felt awesome for like, maybe a couple days. And then as I start reconnecting with people, other people from Beardstown, just because I was like, you know what? My issues weren't with these individual people. They were just kind of bystanders or caught in the crosshairs, right? Um, so I'm going to reconnect with these people. And so I started reconnecting with a lot of people and she kept coming up as a mutual friend. And I, I don't know if you know, Jocko as well as you know David Goggins but uh, Jocko has not only a, a mantra of discipline equals freedom but he, he talks about this principle of extreme ownership you know what's on my list uh, right right <laughs> so he, he talks about extreme ownership and that was kind of the the one thing that I had always steered away from I was just like, you know what? That relationship is dead and buried. Um, by the time I had made my peace with it, I had always just been like, I'm never going to have closure with her. Uh, she got away. At this point, I, I would just tell myself, I hope she's happy and I wish she's a better person. 
And I would tell myself that repeatedly, but then she sent that friend request and I took great, great pleasure in rejecting her. And I was like, that goes against everything I've been saying as far as what I really wish for her. So I thought, you know what? F this. I'm sick of my own BS. And I took personal uh, extreme ownership and I reached out to her. Um, and we, I said everything that I needed to say and she said everything that she needed to say. Um, and she, she is back in my life. Um, like I said, for the first time in 10 years, uh, I never thought we'd be on speaking terms ever again, just because of how I felt. Um, and because of what I've done to myself physically, emotionally, all of that, I finally had the confidence to, to say at the time, Hey, I had, I had feelings for you and X, Y, and Z. And we went from there. Um, now she's, she's married with a kid and truly at this point, all I want for her is, is to be happy and for her husband to treat her well. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to pursue anything beyond having her back in my life, but I do, I do feel great. And I wish everybody that I've been, uh, been reconnecting with, you know, great things. Dude. And that's a huge, I think that's a huge message for people who, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are holding resentment for somebody and it could be, it could be, it could be your mom, it could be your sister, your dad, whoever it is. Right. It might I, be I had, a, I had a list. I was the stereotypical guy that if I ever got invited back to a 10, 15, 20 year high school reunion, I wanted to be so successful. I could walk down a line, flipping the double bird going, you and you and you and you, yeah. you know, um, and I have had success with my rage, but it almost swallowed me whole. Is the mm -hmm. point. Yeah. And you caught it before it could do that. And you've kind of turned it into a more positive state of mind, which is huge. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's huge. Like it, it really just lets people know, like if there's somebody that they, whoever's listening, if it's, you know, somebody close to them that they haven't talked to in forever, and maybe that's a relationship that deep down they'd like to rekindle and maybe fix things with. It gives people, you know, hope that that's possible. And, and, you know, it takes a lot of swallowing your, whatever ego you may have, whatever pride you may have about it to, you know, reach out and, and do what you have to do in that regard. But I'm a firm believer that when you do that, even if that person doesn't come back in your life, even if that person, like in your case, if this girl w would have said, you know what? Nah, like, forget it. We're done. I'm never going to talk to you again. I think you still would have slept at night knowing like, at least I tried. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I won't go into her specifics because it was, it, she shared enough that is deeply personal that I, I just won't reveal it here. But what she sure. did say in terms of the end of our relationship, uh, or at least at that time, she said she didn't even remember what happened to us because she had had enough going on personally that was significantly dark. She uh, blocked it out. So she didn't even remember. And I could have taken that one of two ways. You did this to me and you made me feel like this and you went off and I could have taken that that way and gone right back to resenting her. 
But when she said she didn't even remember it, I was free. Right then, right there, in that split, split second, I was able to let go completely. And I texted her later. And we, I, I screenshotted one of the text messages. I, I took her name out. But, uh, you know, I, the, the text message basically said, um, I never thought we'd be back. We'd come back to each other. It means a lot. Um, and she said, you know, she said the same. So I screenshotted that, put that on Facebook. I still have it up there. Um, and all I said was, I'm not going to tag you. You know who you are. Thank you for peace. And then I went out and I smashed a run. I dominated it. What I'm trying to do in all facets of my life and what I need to do and why I need the structure of 75 hard and why I need a Goggins, why I need a Jocko, why I need Nanny Frisella screaming in my head. And I need this hardcore discipline. I'm trying to have as much balance as I possibly can in all facets of my life while giving a hundred percent to all facets of my life. And, and so far for the last three years, I've done that. And it all comes back to lifting. It all comes back to, I've always admired the bodybuilder, you know, the bodybuilder physique or the, you know, the stereotypical Jack dude physique, but I never wanted to put in work. And I started putting in the work. And then I started doing it in every other aspect that you could think of. And the minute I healed that relationship with her, and then I started healing um, all these other relationships, I thought I was at peace before, but I knew physically in my stomach, I, I could tell some kind of weight's been lifted. It, it's not, you know, it, it's not there anymore. I, I thought I had peace, but this was a level of peace that wasn't there before. That's incredible, man. And, you know, I, I just want to keep on reiterating the fact that like you're 23, right? I'm just uh, at, at the time. Yeah. You're, you're 20, you're 26 now. You're 26, 26 now. Sorry. Yeah. But, but still, still, even so 26, it's like, imagine with, with what you've already done, imagine what another 20 years of this path looks like. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so just I'll, huge. So I'll just go ahead and say like, I'm very fortunate that I caught my habits and my tendencies, the, the negative ones when I did, because if I wasn't doing one bad thing to myself in terms of alcohol, I was doing another. If I wasn't doing that, you know, I, I was constantly replacing one negative with another. And if I wasn't constantly physically and mentally getting messed up every single day, then I felt like something was missing. However, one of the points where I am absolutely whacked out of my skull, um, I'm sitting in my bathroom in my apartment at Webster at one point. And this is like, I don't know, the umpteenth day that week uh, that I was drunk or, or, or messed up. And I started thinking about how old I was because I, I was 23, about to turn 24. 
and I started thinking 24 is not, not far away from 27, right? And how long have I been doing this? And getting smashed every time, almost 10 years, while I was whacked out of my mind is when I had, when I shouldn't have had the clarity because I physically could not, I somehow had clarity of like, okay, I got to stop. And granted, for a little while after that, I still hadn't stopped. It didn't, didn't happen till, till June. I think this was before that. Um, but it was like, oh, my God. It's, it's been almost a decade of me having to hide from people. And I don't have to do that anymore, you know? The reason I'm, the reason I'm so comfortable talking about it now is not just because I've gone through it, but because of stories like Tyson Fury's and his battle with mental health and him almost, you know, almost killing himself um, and things like that. I never had what it took to, to actually try to commit self-harm. And to some degree, that really pissed me off because I just wanted it to be over. I wanted the suffering to stop, as my dad said at one point. Uh, it really pissed me off that I couldn't, you know, get the gumption to make an attempt. So at some point I made a compromise of like, okay, I'm just going to get messed up every single day because, and I'll, I'll die slowly. You know, my, I'll, I'll fuck up my organs. I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll die slowly because I don't have what it takes. I don't think like that anymore. Um, I don't regret any of it. I, well, I shouldn't say that. I have learned from the experience, but I can't regret any of it because who I was then is what made who I am now. And with who I am now, I don't want to go back. I only want to dominate, you know? And like I said, I want to dominate everything. You already are, brother. I think that's a great place for us to... Uh to cap it. But, um, real quick though, before we do, where can everybody find you? All right. So I don't have a, 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 fa a Facebook page, but you have me on Facebook as well. If people are comfortable adding just my personal profile, they can as well. I'm sure you'll put a, you'll put a link down there. Um, as far as the Ironman fundraiser, we are uh, raising money through, through PayPal just cause that was, you know, I already had that set up. So it was, it was the quickest way to start raising money. So, um, I will send you, uh, the PayPal link and you can put that, I, I don't know, in, in the, the episode description or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. And if, if anybody wants to check out my work, uh, I, I still need to update my website a little bit um, with what, what, what I've been doing recently. But if anybody wants to check out my work, particularly in combat sports, they can go to danemaguire.com. danemaguire.com. Yeah. I'll put all of these. I'll put the website. Um, I actually have the PayPal link, so I'll put that in the, in the episode description too, guys. If you want to donate, um, I'll leave and the. We are, I'll we are the, trying to we are trying to get businesses involved as well. So individual donations, businesses, everything. Ideally, what we had asked for um, in the article, my dad had suggested, you know, if you have a 16 mile race, ask for a dollar a mile. So 16 miles, 16 dollars. But we're we're taking any sort of do donation of any amount that anybody feels comfortable giving. Um, it's just sitting there in my PayPal until the end of the year. Um, and then we're, we're going to hopefully have enough to evenly split it three ways. Beautiful, man. I love it. 
Good stuff. Dude, this was awesome, man. I love this conversation. Um, loved having you on and uh, we should do it again. All right, I, man. I'd love to talk to you at the end of the year again um, or as we get closer to the end of the year to kind of see where you've taken this and, and you know, how much you've raised and, and wh- how things are looking. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. I'm talking to, I'm talking to some businesses. Um, I hope to reach out to all of all people. I still have Bruce Buffer from the UFC. I still has hit, have his contact information. Nice. Um, um, I have, I have his, uh, his assistant's email. So even though it's kind of outside the scope of uh, martial arts, what Bruce is, is a businessman. So if, if he's not able to donate, I'm hoping maybe, you know, he can help me get businesses, businesses involved. I've, I've reached out already to the Lift Life Foundation, bodybuilding.com's Lift Life, uh, who we're, who we're going to give some of the money to because uh, they have their own partners. Um, so I think getting businesses involved is going to raise a lot more than what we've got right now. We've, we've just gotten started. But um, like I said, I don't have a set goal, but I do kind of want to want to raise – uh, just as much as I can. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I got to say, this has been very therapeutic for me. Um, you know, if my, my parents, is this going to be audio only or video? Uh, just audio. Okay. Well, either way, when this comes out, I don't believe I have ever opened up about the sum of everything to anyone like this, except for maybe my counselor. Um, so, you know, I, I, for, if my parents listen to this, I'm, I'm sorry if it was a tough listen. Um, but, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm at where I'm at now and I'm only going up. So I hope they understand, um, you know, and for anybody else, if you, you've been in a similar situation um, or, or you're in it now, I went through it for six years. If you need to get help, get help. Well, I'm honored, brother. Thank you so much for for sharing all of that with me. All right, man. Take care. You too, brother. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Guys, be sure to check the show notes in the description for the link to donate to Dane's uh, Ironman fundraiser, as well as um, the link to his Facebook page. So make sure you give him a follow. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'll see you in the next one. 